Hi, I'm Jeff Jones, and you're listening to The Monarchists. Monarch Nation, we are back on a victory Sunday. I am here with Aaron and Gary. How are we doing, fellas? Man, it is a beautiful Sunday morning. That game last night has left me on the most natural of highs. It is awesome. I am beyond pumped this morning. I don't know how much voice I have left, but an amazing win, gutty win, ballsy win yesterday. It really sets us up well going forward. So just a beautiful Sunday here before the NFL games kick off. All right, so Old Dominion wins 28-21. We are now 4-3 and three on the season, 3-1 and one in the Sun Belt East, which is first place because JMU is not eligible for the conference championship this year, right? Yeah, that, that would be accurate. Pretty good. Vegas had us at three and a half wins this year. We're already over. Amazing oh, stuff. Cat cash that ticket last night. I don't think MGM is going to pay it out, but shout out to Chad for throwing that in formula. He's in Tennessee this summer. Now, Gary, do you get extra money for cashing it in so quickly and not having to wait to the end of the season? I don't. I don't think they're going to pay it out to like December 1st, but man, it's nice to just know that that couple hundred bucks is coming my way here right before Christmas. Yeah, it's going to be a nice holiday treat of success. Old Dominion surpasses their win mark of last season as well. And we finally beat App State. If we're going to start anywhere, I think I love the running game last night, but more importantly, I love the short and intermediate passing and how efficient Grant Wilson was last night. So I know Gary mentioned it. This would be a good week to uh, cement who our quarterback is. And I think we can all agree that that happened last night. Grant Wilson made big plays. There's still room for improvement there, and I think he would tell you that too. But he made some big-time throws, facing some big-time pressure in some situations. Uh, that fourth down and 10 conversion in the fourth quarter was could be, I think, the biggest play in, in the Ronnie tenure. It definitely kind of changed the momentum of, of this season. We were able to convert that and keep going. But he was poised. App took away the deep ball. We survived underneath. We survived running the ball. And he was more like the David Washington type that I was talking about of taking what the defense gives you, being accurate, being efficient, not turning the ball over. He did all of that. And I think it's pretty safe to say he is solidified as our starting quarterback uh, after that performance yesterday. Absolutely. 18-25 on the night, 188 yards, one touchdown, ran the ball for 62 yards, net 35 because of sacks, but he was what we needed to win that game. And it was really fun to watch that offense work. It's what I've been waiting for all season. And it was a lot of fun. It's going to put some fear into our future opponents as well, because we've finally shown that we can run, we can throw short and intermediate, and we still have that deep ball in our back pocket. So I don't know if you're going to see defenses do what app did last night, where they had safeties deep. They were playing 10 to 15 yards off of all of our wide receivers the entire night. We've shown now we can pick that apart and win football games. So that's going to that's gonna cause some headaches and heartburn for defensive coordinators in the future that we can – the offenses come together a bit and added that element that was so desperately needed. When you can take a snap and almost immediately throw to a receiver out on the edge and pick up six to eight yards, it's as good as having – an outstanding rushing game. And when you can mix both of those in like they were last night, it makes for a pretty difficult task. And then as a defense, you just you can't cover everything. Or at least most teams can't cover everything. And last night was a great example. Mike and I were in the post-game presser with Ricky. We asked him about it. We also asked Grant about the short and intermediate game. And it certainly was a focus this week. And but the defense played right into it, and it worked out well for us. Yeah, it's a pick-your-poison moving forward for whoever we're playing against. They know we can run the ball. We, they know we can take it over the top on them. 
And now we can go on the short and intermediate throws. What, how do you defend us now? It's going to be really interesting to see how, moving forward, how that works because this is the offense that we, we needed and it's working. So now if they're stacking the box, we know what to do. If they're playing back, we know what to do. We can play with anybody if we're playing this type of offense. Yeah, I think, Mike, you and I were talking to each other last night of, like, this is what this offense is supposed to look like. And then if they give us the deep pass, we'll throw it. They didn't. They were scared to death of the deep ball last night, and we were able to capitalize, which I, I didn't know if we had the ability to do that, and it was great to see it. And I think it really comes from better quarterback play. Grant, you know, hats off to him coming back after being benched and looking really good against an App State team that is down. But they had a good game plan, and we were able to beat it. And our two-headed monster in the backfield were fantastic again. Kadarius Callaway, 13 carries, 104 yards, eight yards per eight-yard average. Deshaun Wicks, 82 yards, two toddies, 6.8 on the ground. That you can't ask for more, for much more than that. It was fantastic to watch that running game last night. Well, I mean, we can. Kadarius could run for, what, 20 yards to carry like he did that one game, but be real. Phenomenal. I mean, we talked last week about what were some keys to winning this game this week. I'm going back to my notes, and Old Dominion checked the boxes on everything. The first one was being able to rush the, the ball effectively. We rushed the ball 39 times for a net of 221 yards. It was almost 250 yards, but we did have five sacks. 5.7 yards per carry. You're able to rush the ball for almost six yards a carry. You're going to win a lot of football games. Another was stopping the rush. We held app to 127 yards, average of 3.5 yards per carry. That's pretty darn good. Um, other was limiting really hurtful sacks. Although we gave up five sacks, it was really only one of those sacks that I would put in that category of being hurtful. Unfortunately, it was on the last drive. I think we were on the 33-yard line, third down and something, 33-yard line, kind of driving to be able to kick a field goal for a potential win. Um, and uh, I think we took a sack that put us back on the 40-yard line, and that's where Ricky had an important decision that he talks about in the press conference. And shameless plug here, go to odumonarchist.com. We'll have that up in the next day or so. And the uh, last one was, Limiting or eliminating turnovers. We had zero fumbles. Grant had zero interceptions. Check the boxes on all those things, resulting in an Old Dominion victory. It was it was nice to see those boxes get checked. And you know, we've talked about we're not doing one big thing wrong. We're doing a lot of little things wrong, and it's kind of stacking. We were able to eliminate uh, over half of those little things that we had not been doing well throughout the season. One other thing I, I want to highlight here, too, is we had our longest touchdown drive of the season yesterday. It was the first touchdown drive that we had. It was 12 plays, which ties the second longest drive, which was at Tech in, in week one. But 12 plays, 87 yards, ate up five minutes and 50 seconds off of the clock. Uh, that was really nice to see that sustained, methodical drive, being able to go down the field, impose our will, Good mix of run, good mix of pass, and then putting a touchdown up on the board after App had kind of driven down the field and put it to us. And then we had a three and out on our first drive. So to come back, bounce back, and have that drive was was great. This is also, I think, our closest time of possession game, too. Uh, App led 32 minutes, 6 seconds. We had the ball for 27 minutes, 54 seconds. I, I think the time of possession is a little screwy here because we had a really long drive at the end where the clock stopped a lot and didn't run a lot of time. But the play differential is so key. App had 68 plays. We had 64. That's the closest that, that has been all season. So just thinking about that and that the defense had, didn't have to be out there the whole game. They could have helped themselves a lot more by getting some stops on fourth down. We'll talk about that in a minute. But much more balance really on, on that offensive side of the ball has helped our defense and let them – be fresh at the end of the game when we needed a big stop. While we're talking about the offense, I think we need to credit this offensive line. Santana Saunders gets hurt early in the game, and Chris Chernak comes in, and he really 
next man up mentality. We the offensive line performed well last night uh, overall. Obviously, making some big holes for those running backs to go through. Hey, Mike. Yeah, I want to go back just for a second, Gary. You were talking about the the longest drive play wise, twelve plays, but we finished the game with eleven play drive. Like I said, it was only two minutes and fifty eight seconds because of the end of game and clock stopping. But it was an eleven play drive. The other thing, this is our best time of possession game this year. But what might get lost in the shuffle there is in the fourth quarter, we had the ball for 8 minutes, 18 seconds. So we finished this game with holding the ball and really controlling the game and not giving App a whole heck of a lot of time to try to tie the game up there at the end. Yeah, I think you all may have asked it in the, the post-game press conference about Keyshawn Wicks going in the end zone. I, I told Mike right before that snap that App's probably going to try to let us score a touchdown on this drive. is the only way they were going to get the ball back. So flip a coin, whether or not you go for the six and put it away or you just try and get close and depend on a field goal. There's a lot of things that can go wrong there. I will say converting the two-point conversion after that touchdown was huge. Beautiful pass, beautiful catch, beautiful play design. And it was just another big play in that drive that was just huge. Like those were plays we were not definitely weren't making last year. I think earlier this season we struggled to make those big plays at the end of the game. They overcame a lot of adversity on that last drive too. We had some plays that didn't go well. We had some penalties that took a big play back. Uh, but they just shook it off. Like being able to overcome that adversity, like that there was a gutty, gutty win. It was a gutty drive, and it was one that, that I think sets a really nice tone for the rest of the year of we can find a way to win a football game no matter what the defense is throwing at us. Yeah, hey, Gary, that question, it was either Mark Davis or Brian Parsons. I can't remember who it was off to the left, but they did ask if that was discussed beforehand. Ricky said it was, but I think they were of the mindset of we'll score the touchdown. I have confidence in the defense. We'll let the ball where they, they are. We score the touchdown, then, hey, good on me. If uh, they come back and they beat us, then it's going to be shame on me. You know, the coach taking that call, and his call was, let's put the points on the board, and we'll hold them. I clearly see why he trusts that defense. The way they played in the fourth quarter was fantastic, and we've seen it the last – we saw it last week, and we saw it at Marshall – the defense in the fourth quarter has been amazing for weeks now. And we had some different guys stepping up on defense on Saturday as well. I mean, I I don't think we can go any further in this podcast without talking about Keandre Harris. They specifically targeted him with the last two plays of the game, those fades to the corner of the end zone. He was in coverage there. He had two pass breakups on two consecutive fades at the most important part of the game. That That is big. I know he's a JUCO transfer that, that – just came in. He's got a little bit of playing time this year, but not a ton. But he stepped up in a big, big way. He also was the one that downed the punt at the one-yard line earlier in the game, made a fantastic play to keep that ball from going in the end zone so it could be down. Keandre Harris, just fantastic, fantastic game. Obviously, we had to mention Jason Henderson because you always have to mention Jason Henderson. Another huge game from him. I think it was, what, 17 tackles on the night? He was everywhere. Yeah, I, I got to be on the sideline in the second quarter and getting to see him at field level making the plays that he does. There was a, a third down play where Aguilar tried to roll out and Henderson stopped him and Terry Jones cleaned up the tackle. And Jason Henderson was on the other side of the field when that ball was snapped. And I, I don't know how he got over there, but he does. And it's it's wild to, to watch him move on the field at that yeah, level. 16 tackles. Yeah, so we were in the suites in the end zone on the top level of the suites. That was almost like an all-22 look at the game. And being able to watch Jason and how he slices through the offense to get to the ball, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, so Jason now, 109 tackles on the season. Man, he is he is on a he's on a great pace again. Yeah, he's, he's just continuing what he did last year. I like that they're more aggressive with him, sitting with blitzes. And App State was specifically trying to run the opposite direction of Jason last night. Yeah, I remember you, you mentioned that to me. Like, 
right at the beginning of the game. You're like, hey, check this out. You see what App is doing here, and they're rushing. I was like, oh, I don't know, Jerry. Tell me what they're doing. And you're like, yeah, look, they're running the exact opposite direction of where Jason is. That's the side of the field. He's so damn fast, and he reads the plays so well and moves sideline to sideline so well that that's only going to work for so long. Yeah, and they were absolutely, they were running some good like guard tackle pulls to run those stretch runs, and they got some some bigger gains off of us doing it, but they were specifically putting one to two guys specifically to block Jason and get him out of the play. That's where I think the guys in our secondary really stepped up yesterday. We, we did give up a couple kind of gashing runs, but we kind of locked that down after a while. And it's because guys like Terry Jones come up with three solo assists, 11 for the day. Uh, Rashid Reason had five solo tackles. I mean, that's that's amazing for for somebody in the secondary to have five solo tackles. Sean Asbury had four. Just solid tackling from the guys in the secondary so that when – Jason Henderson does get double teamed and then they peel off Wayne Matthews and they're able to block down the line. Secondary is kind of coming in unblocked and they are making those tackles. And I don't know if you all want to go back to the, uh, the, the days of, of pre Ricky Ronnie, I don't know if their secondary made a whole lot of tackles like that, especially in the later years. So it's nice to see them be able to win those one-on-one battles with the, a running back and take some of the pressure off Jason. All right, you want to send three guys to block Jason Henderson? Cool. We'll send two unblocked and go shut down what you're trying to do. And that's eventually what they got to in the third and fourth quarter of that game. Every podcast, I mention this name. And you know which name that is, right, Gary? I can see the look in your head. Who say his name? I'm gonna let you take it. You say it. No, say his name. Say his name, Gary. Nope. Nope. All right. Nope. nope. Ethan Sanchez, man. <laughs> Last night, two really big field goals. One to end of the first half, taking the lead, 47-yard boot. Not only was he the most hype I think I've ever seen a kicker since maybe uh, Jonathan Plisco and Jared Brown. Although last night when we saw Jonathan, he made sure to let us know that he's not a kicker. There's a difference between a kicker and a punter. I did not know this, but this must be a special teamers kind of thing. But, man, Ethan was so pumped, I thought he was going to knock some linemen over. The coolest thing was watching, like, the entire team embrace him, run out, celebrate, you know, the, the entire way from, like, the – 30-yard line of the opposite side of the field by the north end zone all the way going into the locker room. That was huge. And then the other field goal, the 46-yarder, neither were in question at all. I mean, they split the uprights, hit the balls well. Um, As a matter of fact, in the post-game presser, another shameless plug, go to the website when that thing is up. We asked Ricky uh, about what was going through his head on that 4th and 10 play at the end. And the initial, the first thought was to kick a field goal. Um, we were on the 40-yard line. That would have been a 57-yard field goal. And he talked to Ethan about it. And Ethan was basically, I, I don't know the exact word. I can't, my hearing kind of sucks. And I don't know that Ricky gave his exa- the exact words. But the emotion that Ricky was coming through was basically, Ethan was, hell yeah, I'll nail that. And during the middle of that conversation, the wind kicked up a little bit, and Ricky decided that we weren't going to kick it. We were going to go for it. But two huge kicks. I think they changed the trajectory of the game. If he doesn't make those kicks, I mean, I know we won by seven, but we might not win that game without those two kicks. Changes the dynamic for sure. And those kicks came in that critical middle eight window that you hear uh, Coach Ronnie talk about a lot of the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. I think that's the best we've executed in that middle eight uh, since he's he's been here. Uh, we were able to get a touchdown, we were able to get a stop, and then we got a field goal to end the half. Get the ball coming out of halftime, nice long drive, ends with another field goal. That was a really, really critical window for us. And the last couple games, we have not done well in that window at all. And I think that really kind of changed the trajectory of the game there. And you're right, Ethan Sanchez nailing both of those field goals, having the confidence to, yeah, run me out there for 57. We know he has the leg. We just got to watch sometimes the accuracy on it. But he was he was great. also want to talk about the other Ethan, Ethan Duane. Five punts last night, averaged uh, 43.8 yards. 
uh, had one inside the 20, one that was over 50 yards. He got hit early in that game with no flag, and we're going to talk all about the Sun Belt refs that I don't know. We'll get on them in a minute, but he got hit a couple times last night, so he was under pressure, and he's still making big kicks. App State only started only started one drive in Old Dominion territory in the entire game. That's something we haven't done all year, and that was when we were backed up after that first three and out. Ethan Wayne punts it from his own end zone. They take over at the ODU 46. He was able to flip the field, and that was really important last night because every possession, every point mattered, and having a specialist come in and do his thing and, and make some good punts, especially get that one at the one. Really great job by both Ethans. All right, so we asked Monarch fans to call us at our number, 757-797-4935. And we got one call from G. Willing on Twitter. And his overall marks is he's feeling a little bit more optimistic than he was before the game. But there's some issues we need to clean up. Obviously, we're going to talk about some of We've talked about some of those, and we'll talk about more of those moving forward. But he's hopeful that we can bring a big crew of people to JMU for this big game next week. Hey, go Monarch. It's, uh, I'm G. Willing. Uh, the only only thing I've got an issue with is uh, a little bit of the play calling towards the end. Yeah, I'll, uh, a win's a win, and, and I'll take it. Uh, great to drive down. Uh, personally, I didn't trust Ethan uh, Sanchez kicking a 40-plus yard field goal, so that holding penalty killed us. But I had a lot of questions towards Towards the end there, and uh, the only thing uh, I gotta say is can't have that going into JMU. Uh, there's still a lot of things we gotta figure out, and that's the biggest question mark and biggest issue for me is we're uh, seven games in here, and there's still a lot of question marks. Uh, we gotta figure that out. That's something that's gotta be figured out. A lot of uh, a lot of games are way earlier going into the season uh, than where we are now. So hopefully that can be addressed going into JMU, but. Uh, I am feeling a little bit optimistic, so uh, hopefully we can have a lot of monarchists and a lot of monarchs show up at Harrisonburg because we need it. Let's go, monarchs. All right, so we're going next week, and we can't wait. It's going to be a very interesting game. We know that James Madison's a pretty fantastic defense, especially with what they did against Marshall last week. But I, I can't wait to get up there and see how this environment is. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked about it heading up Saturday. I know with you, Mike, Gary, I think you've got a different caravan going up, but we're all going to meet up. I personally am not a streamer guy, so I'm not going to bring blue streamers, but I'm going to bring my damn voice, and depending on how that game goes, actually, no matter how the game goes, I think my voice will suck on Sunday recording next week. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get up there as well. Uh, I think there's going to be a pretty big contingent of ODU fans up there. Uh, but kind of getting to, to some of the comments on, on the game that, that he had, uh, you know, right about the holding penalty, that was that was brutal. That could have killed us, uh, but luckily we were able to make a big play to cover it. Um, I, I think in general, like, there's still a lot to clean up. He's he's right on the money with that. Like, we're, we're not a perfect football team, but we're trending the right direction. And the biggest takeaway for me coming out of this win is that we found a way to win. And we've kind of fi- found a way to lose some games this season. We've had some where we found a way to win. Uh, but, you know, App State is, is historically a good program. We've never been competitive against them. So to find a way to just piece it together and win the football game, that was my biggest takeaway from it. But there's still a lot of work to do. And JMU is a good team. They have a great defense. You look at I think they've only, they don't even know if they've allowed 60 total points this season. They're very good. They're going to try to take away what we want to do. Uh, but, man, and I would love to be uh, in JMU stand celebrating a win after that late game on Saturday with a lot of ODU fans. Yeah, I agree with almost everything that, that he had to say. I feel differently about Ethan Sanchez, though. Last night, those two kicks are big for him. I think that that's a big moment in this season for him, and maybe in his career at ODU. He hit those balls both very confidently, and you could tell afterwards like how into it he was. Ricky obviously trusts him, and I think the next time that a big kick comes up, those are things that he's going to flash back to. And I really think that we've got a guy that we can depend on when we need a big kick. So, that, so Eric Bohannon's email that he sends after the game noted that was the first multi-kick or multi-field goal game 
for Ethan Sanchez in his career here. So hopefully it is a big turning point for him because we know he has the, the leg. It's always just been the in- inconsistencies with um, his kicking that has kind of held him back. So hopefully this is a big momentum swing for him and because he's got the talent. He should be one of the best kickers in the league, and I think maybe this is that turning point, Aaron, just like you mentioned. Confidence boost is is nice, and I think that confidence boost is for the whole team. You look at where we're at now, we have four wins. There's a clear pathway to becoming bowl eligible. If we would have lost that game to App State, it's really hard to see how that would be possible, and you get guys that lose confidence and – we may end up in that three and nine boat that we did last year. I'm getting the exact opposite vibes now. Doesn't mean we're going to win out. Doesn't necessarily mean we're going to go up to Harrisonburg and come out with a win. But there are some like three or four games that we're going to have a clear opportunity to win and become bowl eligible. And the most important thing about becoming bowl eligible, it's not whatever game we, we go into against the Mac school or Conference USA or whoever it is. It's the fact that we have a super young roster. We still have a new offense. And becoming bowl eligible gives you three more weeks of practice. Three more weeks to get those younger guys more reps in practice. You can get them in. You're going to have less guys transfer because they're getting that practice time and they're saying, hey, there's a pathway for me here. Three more weeks of this great talent that Coach Ronnie and his staff have brought in the last couple of years that you're starting to see on the field now pop up in more than just the wide receiver position. Getting those guys that three extra weeks of development is so big going for, forward for us for the health of the program long term. Don't think about it as, oh, great, we're going to go back to Myrtle Beach and play in a bowl in front of you know 4,000 fans. It's that three weeks of practice that's so critical to help your program. Gary, we talking about practice? We talking about practice? You, you know what our football team's doing today? Practice. Practice. They're practicing. 3 they p.m., come back right? And they practice. Yep. Right. Film study, practice, all that. They wash the App State win down, and then it's on to JMU after the off day Monday. So, obviously, you guys know I'm active on the boards, and it's always funny. Uh, every single game we win, you go on the boards, and there's people saying, well, that might be our last win of the season. Our own fans don't believe yet, and I, I still don't get it. I don't totally blame them. We haven't had a really strong winning season in a while, and there's going to be people that are a little slow to get on the optimistic train. And they could be right. If they keep saying it, eventually they'll be right no matter what. But I, I think if you felt the energy from the crowd and the team on Saturday, like the crowd was good when they filed in there, the students did a great job showing up. Like There's momentum building. There were a lot of recruits at that game last night, and you could feel that momentum building. This doesn't feel like last year at all at this point. And we've already clipped that win total. We cashed our bets. It, I understand that people are hesitant to get on the train, but I think by the time you realize the train's in motion, it, you're, you're going to be wishing you hopped on a little sooner. My thing is this. If you can run the ball and play good defense, you have a chance to win every game. And we have the pieces there. But now that we're adding the, the, the passing wrinkle into it, it just becomes even more likely that we can win some games. I'm a believer, and I have been since we made this offensive coordinator hire. But, yeah, I, if you can run the ball like we, we do, we have a shot. Oh, absolutely. You run the ball for almost six yards a carry, you're going to win a lot of games. But to go back to your question about the message boards, it's not just the message boards, it's social media in general. If you were to take every social media post about sports from every fan base and you were to divide them out into positive, we'll call it middle, we'll just say realistic, and then on the other side, negative, like always positive, in the middle, kind of realistic, and always negative, you probably are going to have more always negatives. It's like me with the commanders. You always, as a as a fan, as a you know a fanatic, as a diehard, you always want better for your team, and you're always going to be more critical of your team. So, it's no different in basketball. So we got this phenomenal recruiting class. Knock on wood, signing is in a, a few weeks. 
even with that, with three guys, three really, really highly rated guys, you got folks that are looking for the negative in it. You sign a four-star, 6'11 big man who's got great film and is very highly regarded, and the first thing that people want to go is, well, what's wrong with him? He's not that good. Everybody backed off. Otherwise, we wouldn't get him, as opposed to the positive stuff. And there is one message. I was just looking. You brought up the boards from DJ and VA. And he said the options, quote, sign a top 125 guy, have a top 25 recruiting class, versus don't sign a top 125 guy, don't have a top 25 recruiting class. Why on earth would anyone be anything other than happy? So, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be realistic because we try to do that. I mean, with the basketball show, we talk with, with Coach Jones and say we've got to be honest and authentic. So, coaches and players know when shit's not going right. Okay, So do we. But there's a way to talk about it. You don't have to be, what's the word, not, not melodramatic, Mike, when everything's to the extreme. What word is that? Oh, hyperbole. We take things things to the extremes there. Yeah. And just going crazy. It's very easy to do that online. It's less likely that it happens when we're having conversations in person with people. And that's why we try to do that all the time. It's just talking with people, inviting them to the tailgate. You know, people that are more in the more of the positive camp like we are, people who are critical of the program. We invite everybody to the tailgate. We, you know, the three of us are in a more positive camp. We know when shit stinks. We know when players aren't playing well. We know when, you know, the teams aren't playing well. But we try to frame it in a positive direction because the other doesn't, it doesn't help. It's not constructive. But we invite everyone to the tailgate, whether you're more in our camp or you're critical of what's going on because we can have face-to-face discussions and have good discussions and good debate and understand where people are coming from both sides and I could be convinced of stuff but online it's too easy just to go hyperbolic and be that guy because let's face it we haven't seen any gals doing that crazy shit it's always us as guys because we're if we didn't love ODU and we weren't crazy about the team, you wouldn't care, and so none of it would exist. But to be honest, this team is trending in a positive direction. Anyone who was at that game or watched the game on TV, to say that we're not trending in the right direction, you're either so jaded or you're just not being honest. Are we there yet? Hell no, of course we're not. But we're moving in a good direction and I'm really excited for what the future is for the squad. Absolutely. And while we're talking about fans, we got to talk about last night's environment at the stadium. Wasn't wasn't sold out, wasn't packed to the brim with fans, but the crowd that was there was into it. The student section was awesome. It was a loud, fun environment to be in. Obviously, play on the field matters and helps hugely in that, but... Hats off to all of our fellow fans for making that a tough place to play last night. I may be in the minority here, but I think we should play all of our home games at night. That just had a different feel to it. I, and I don't know if it's just because the light show actually looked like a light show after halftime, uh, but it just had a different vibe about it. Like the, the energy felt a little more chaotic, a little more hostile. There were definitely some App State fans there who I, I know were getting into it in the stands with some people and having some fun. But I think that's what being in the Sun Belt is about, though. You want that rivalry. You want to shit talk someone wearing an App State shirt, not being a, a jackass or anything, not getting into fights, but trash talk back and forth. That's why we're here now, why we're not playing Rice and UTEP and all these teams that no one actually gives a shit about unless you gamble like a D-Gen. No, nobody on this call fits that description. Yeah, but it's fun, like, being able to have that trash talk and building that rivalry there. Like, that's what it's about, and I felt that in the crowd. I also really enjoyed the extra hour of tailgating. So I don't know for sure if that's an ODU call, an ODAF call, a V, Virginia ABC, it's a staffing, whatever. But there were more butts in seats at kickoff and into the first half. We didn't feel rushed when we were tailgating. Like Several of us were able to actually go over to Kauffman Mall for the first time in, in several years. Having that extra hour is, is pretty nice to have. 
uh, in the tailgate. And I feel like it, it enhances our experience a little bit. So I'll get off my tailgating soapbox, but be nice to have that extra well, hour every year. Not to get off that tailgating soapbox yet and the extra hour. I might be jumping ahead, but one thing that extra hour allowed us to do is walk around the blue lot and pass out flyers for the Toys for Tots drive, which is coming up at the next home game. So November 4th against Coastal Carolina, 4th annual Toys for Tots drive. If you were in the stadium, you saw the video promo for that. Last year, we collected over 1,000 toys and more than $1,500. The goal this year... We're actually not setting one. The only goal is to smash the record from last year. So let's let's be you know way more than a thousand and fifteen hundred. I uh, know as Monarch fans we can do that, and every single dollar and every single toy stays in the Hampton Roads community to make uh, our little boys and little girls' lives you know a little bit better. Some of them who wouldn't have a Christmas otherwise. So last night's win was pretty big in another moment because now we're being in the Sunbelt, they do the, the game assignments two weeks ahead. Monday or Tuesday this week, we'll find out when, what time the Coastal Carolina game is on. Mm-hmm. With our record being what it is, that game should be picked up for somewhere on national television, I, I would think. I don't know if I'm off base there, but... No, I I am shocked by the number of Sunbelt games that have been picked up on linear broadcast this year. You look around, I, I think we, we had at least four or five of our games picked up for linear. Like remote, most of these games are not even on ESPN Plus. They're they're actually on our network. No, it's yeah, you know, on the main. I think wasn't wasn't the JMU game on yeah. ESPN one. You know, we've seen them on ESPN two. The U, it's. It, I'm impressed. Yeah. And we were snatched up for NFL Network last night. Um, so, I mean, it's it's really widespread, and it's not because we're playing games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I know I think we've had a couple of those in the Sun Belt, but we're definitely not dedicating our entire conference slate to Tuesday and Wednesday night, Wednesday night action. But, yeah, it's, it, I imagine it gets picked up. I hope it's a 7 o'clock kick. And, again, I may be in the minority on that. I don't have kids that I'm bringing to the game. I have a place where I can stay in Norfolk after games if I need to. But – the vibe and the game day atmosphere is a lot of fun. And going back to your toys for tots, no matter your feelings on the team or what the direction is going, you can do something positive for kids in Hampton Roads by bringing a toy. You can even walk up, drop it in, and say whatever you want about the team. We don't care. But this is for a much bigger cause than football. But I would encourage everyone, we have two home games left this year. And I said at the end of last year, we're going to miss college football when it's gone. We're halfway through our conference slate we got two home games left. Come to the game and have fun. Like it, It's a good time. Tailgate, no matter what happens on the field, it's a fun time. Interact with some people. Touch some grass, even if it's artificial. Uh, just try to try to enjoy yourself here because you're going to be sitting there at the end of December going, damn, there's like three college football games left, and I didn't go to a single one in Norfolk this year. Don't let that happen. Come to these last two games. All right. So I think that bridges nicely to – James Madison, obviously. Next Saturday, it is an 8 p.m. kick. It'll be on ESPNU. We are making the trip. They're really good. Um, I haven't looked at the statistics or anything for James Madison. I just watched them a couple times, and their front seven is pretty nasty. So we got a tough challenge ahead of us. I'd love to hear your initial thoughts on this one. We'll start with you, Gary. Yeah, they're really strong defensively, especially against the run. What makes James Madison, I think, special is that they just find a way to win the games that they're in. They've won high-scoring games. They've won low-scoring games. They've run with good offense. They've won with good offense. They've won with good defense. They just kind of have that mindset that, honestly, we used to have at Old Dominion where it's a winning culture. It's instilled. We brought that from FCS to FBS, and, and we did well there at the beginning. We've kind of lost that way. We're hoping to get back to it. it it's going to be difficult to run the football on them. But one thing they do in the run game that may be beneficial to us is they stop the run by putting more bodies in the box, which we're going to see that, and there's going to be opportunities to throw the ball to the outside. There's going to be opportunities for deep shots. And no matter what they throw at us, our offense is built on 
What is the defense showing? Let's get the play call in and let's go. But they've they've got some dudes. I mean, we said it last year coming into the game at JMU. They don't look like an FCS team. They have size like an FBS team. That's only gotten better since last year. And we were not competitive in any way, shape, or form against James Madison last year. So it's it's going to be tough, but I think our defense matches up well to their offense. So this could be an ugly, low-scoring, just fun rivalry game this year. I'm hoping so. Yeah, I'm looking at their stats on ESPN, and I don't know if my eyes are messed up. Well, I know my eyes are messed up right now, but it says they have 34 sacks, and Jalen Green, a D lineman, has got 13 on his own or 100 yards of lost yardage. We are going to have to get the ball out fast. The stuff that we did last night with those that short game and being, you know, not hang in the pocket for a long period of time. We're going to have to keep them off balance because if we sit back and try to sit back regularly, it could be painful. Yeah, they're also only giving up 1.2 yards per rush, which is pretty damn good. I, I don't even know where they rank overall nationwide, but it's got to be a top 10, top 15 defense right now. But like you said, Gary, we're, we have the offense to adapt to however they're defending us. So if we can get that game out of Grant again, we're going to have a chance here. Yeah, I think it's similar mindset too. I don't care if he throws for another 188 yards and we win the game, like find a way to win. Can't turn the ball over against JMU. Cannot afford to give them additional opportunities. So protect the ball. Defensively, I would like to see us cover better. I thought there were some times that we got exposed against App State. It's something we've talked about before. When guys are coming in motion at the time of the snap and also when you have tight ends and slot receivers drag across kind of along slant routes, things like that, we struggle to hand off that coverage. And we saw that last night with some touchdowns. Uh, We're going to need to clean that up because JMU will look to exploit any weakness that we have. Um, so we're cleaning up a little bit on defense there as well. I think if you can get McLeod on the run uh, and force him to throw on the run, I think we, we have a much, much better chance in that game. But, you know, he's he's gotten, got a lot of flack from his own coaching staff about how he wasn't playing well while they were undefeated, which I thought was a little bit ridiculous. But he seemed to have accepted that challenge and step up because he played really well against Georgia Southern. I thought he played well against Marshall. Um they're, they're going to be a tough team to beat, like plain and simple. Like we're going to need to play and execute in all facets of the game in order to go up to Harrisonburg and come out with a win. All right, fellas. So question here. McLeod's carried the ball 45 times for 197 yards. He had a really big one in this last game, I think for 47 yards. Does that change anything schematically on defense that, you know, we've been doing? Or it's not really changed a whole lot with kind of how we've been playing the run and, and playing defense in general recently? I don't know if we make too many big changes in terms of approaching a running quarterback. I'm hoping that we have learned some lessons from the Marshall game and how we allowed Cam Fancher to move around just way too freely and pick us apart. McLeod has the ability to do that exact same thing that Cam Fancher did and take advantage of the kind of soft underbelly of our defensive principles there in the middle of the field uh, in the passing game. So I don't know if there's anything specific, but I think Jason Henderson may get a few more tasks to go hit that quarterback a couple times and, and see what he's made out of him. He hits the turf a few times. Yeah, I'm looking at FPI right now. They're, I think they're 50th. I, I don't really understand FPI right now because we beat App State last night, and they're 90th still, and we're 110. Yeah, has that just not updated, or is that the fresh pull? That seems like it. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what we were last week. I don't look at it, but yeah, and the FPI is the one they base their analytics on. So the prediction right now for ESPN Analytics gives them an 88% chance to win on Saturday. Okay, that'll probably translate to what 14 to 17 point spread would be my guess. Yeah, it could be a big number. It's all right. We were six and a half point dogs last night. I mean, I. I think we got to be in this game early if we want a chance to win it. Because I think too many old feelings start creeping into people's heads if we get down two scores. And then also, that's going to naturally force us to become one-dimensional and pass too much. And 
We don't want to be in that position. We want to be like last night. Good, balance, make the big plays. If we get stuck one-dimensional either way, I don't think we're in a very good position to win the game. Yeah, just like Mr. Miyagi told Daniel son, balance is the key. That's right. All things balance. I just went with wax on, wax Is waxing off. on rushing and waxing off passing or what? I don't know, but I hope we're, we're right. waxing Paint it up and down the field scary. a few times on Saturday. <laughs> That's right. But we'll see. I mean, we're it's weird that we're halfway through conference play and we're three and one. So everything we want to accomplish is still right in front of us from a team standpoint. Like whether JMU is eligible or not for the conference championship game is kind of irrelevant, right? If we were to win out our conference games, we would win the division by tiebreaker if we go and beat JMU. So like we're in this position halfway through conference play that we haven't been in in a very long time where we don't have to depend on other teams to do stuff. We don't need other teams to lose, nothing like that. Like everything is right there for the taking. You just have to go and take it. It's not easy. Like there's, I, I doubt we're going to win out the rest of the way. I'm not saying that at all, but the potential is there to where we control everything we want to do moving forward. Yeah, um, way, the way we've started in conference play has kind of re changed my whole look on the rest of the season. Um, now looking at it and how other sh things are shaking out, all of the teams that have one loss in the conference are remaining on our schedule. We control our own destiny here. And when was the last time we could say that? God. It's been a minute. And if, yeah, it's it's been a long time. I think when we were 1-0 against Arkansas State last year, we were like, all right, we got it. Then we went to Coastal and won, and then the wheels fell off the entire wagon, and we crashed. But that was three games in. We're halfway through now. We're 3-1. and one. I feel like we've beaten some – some good teams like the App State win is kind of like, all right, we're 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 legit. We can we can hang, but I also feel like we peaked week one last year against Tech. Like that was like our we peaked and we fired it up one more time for Coastal, but that was kind of it. This I feel like we haven't even hit like 60% of our peak yet, but we're starting to trend in the up direction with all the momentum and things starting to click offensively and the defense still being strong. So it's like I, I wouldn't hate going into our eighth game of the season starting to peak. That would be good timing. <laughs> That's interesting that you mentioned that, Gary, because Ricky got asked the question last night after the game, kind of if this win over App State was kind of a program-defining moment, if it was a seminal point in our history in the Sun Belt. And he said, look, we're going to have to play these guys at home a lot. So, no, no win in conference is a game or is a team-defining sort of thing he also said that he was asked if kind of this was the finally the team coming together for a complete game and he also said no because it was a great team victory and it showed how gritty the guys were how hard they play and it was a, a really good team victory but not a complete victory that we still have a long ways to go to actually have that complete game i mean i don't think we've really seen a complete game or the closest thing would be that coastal game last year. That was that that was close to being a complete game. But I too hope within the next couple games that we can see things continue to come together and see a more complete picture where both sides of the ball are really firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I think we've all said it on this show. One game our offense and defense are going to show up and play really well at the same time. And we don't, we don't almost going to feel sorry for whoever that is. I think we're closer to that than we have been. And maybe that's Saturday. Yeah, it would be, I don't even know how we can understate how huge that would be. They're the darlings of college football right now. Everyone's writing about them and how they should be bowl eligible and, they have a, they're our best shot at the New York Six and so on and so on. They've had an amazing start to their FBS run. Us, on the other hand, were picked to finish last in the conference. No one expected us to win. There were predictions that had us winning one game. 
if we can manage to win this game, it would be it would be humongous. And I, I don't think there's any way of understating how big that would be. There were a lot of people in the in the Sun Belt that we saw that we interact with that were like, "You all are going to go three and one in non-conference play, and then zero and eight in the Sun Belt." I laughed when I saw that. I was like, "Yeah, that that's not going to happen." But yeah, I mean, we've. I don't know anybody outside of the ODU fan base who had us win in more than three or four games this year. And if we were able to cap off this little run here with a win on the road at JMU, I mean, that's Ricky may say there's no program defining win, but I think that there are pivotal points in a coach's tenure. I think app was one of them. That's the most pivotal so far where if you lose, I think you pivot down and you're done. And if you win, you pivot and you go up and, and you can build from that. The JMU game it doesn't kill us if we lose it, but man, it changes a lot of conversations if we win. Well, maybe if we can go and win this game, maybe we make a deal with our friends from JMU that if Old Dominion wins this game, that JMU grad and current Virginia Attorney General Jason Yaris drops this whole uh, battle with the NCAA to kind of let JMU play. NCAA already slammed the book on that one, didn't they? Well, yeah, the uh, initial thing, but I think now there's talk of, well, do we file a lawsuit? We got bigger things to worry about in the state of Virginia. Hell yeah. There are bigger things in Virginia to worry about that directly impact both the Old Dominion and James Madison football teams. That's a fight to funding. have. Maybe we should direct our efforts there. Absolutely. I don't know if we want to go into we'll that We'll save right that now, for another episode, but... but soon, yeah. Not yet. Soon, though. Yeah. Soon. All right, so I, I don't really want to do a prediction this week. We have to. I predict that we're going to go to Harrisonburg and just have a hell of a time hanging out, enjoying college football, and uh, Do it. cheering on our Monarchs as, you know, as loudly and as Come well on, as we Aaron. can. Do it. Do it. Okay. I can be the only one that makes a prediction then, no. guys. Because my predictions... <laughs> my predictions are... Uh, Educational in nature only, not made for financial uh, advice. But um, this game is going to be closer than a lot of people think. We're trending in the right direction. Our defense is firing all cylinders. Grant's getting more confident. JMU's held people to what you said, less than one and a half yards per game. And we are running... Yeah, and we're running the shit out of the ball. Something's got to give there. Either JMU is going to get beat or our running game is going to get stopped. All of a sudden, Grant has found his short game, so everything's just not long. Ethan Sanchez, baby. We win by three. We don't bring streamers because we don't litter in other people's stadiums. Monarchs win. That bus ride back home is going to be awesome. We're leading the Sun Belt. Let's go, baby. There it is. That's what I was trying to get out of you, Aaron. That's what we need right now. And now let me bring the whole room down here real quickly. Uh, 20 to 17, JMU sneaks this one out. I think we play well, but I think there's just too many things for us to overcome. And yes, I am hoping for the reverse jinx, which is why I'm staying on my five and seven prediction for the season. Because if I change it to six and six or seven and five, we're going to go five and seven. I've had this pegged as, as about a three to seven point loss for us all season long. I'm not going to change it, but I'm going to be very happy to come on here next week and say that I was wrong and enjoy the win. But yeah, I think, uh, I think JMU sneaks this one out by three at home. Gary, it's only weird if it doesn't work. So last night we were winning and then, you know, Mike said, Hey, there's a great spot to watch the game up here in the suite. Come sit next to me, you know? So I went up there and then like, Shit started not going as well. And I'm like, oh my god, this this is my fault. This is all my fault. So I peeked back out, and there was a seat in the front row. And I said, I gotta go sit back down. And lo and behold, good shit happened, and we won the game. So 
Monarch Nation, I apologize for almost costing us the game there. But, hey, man, if it works, it works. So stick with 5 and 7, Gary. I'm on your side. Yeah. Um, for me, one thing I didn't mention about last night's game was I had some dudes on that defense and offense. And it was kind of obvious to me that they had just they just had some size to them and some speed. And us fighting and winning that battle – I think was huge because I don't know if I can say it, but that I think App may have had more talent than we did on the field last night. And it was good to see us overcome that talent disparity and win a game. So for this week, I think it's going to be a low scoring affair. Both defenses are pretty good, but we can run the ball. We can now throw the short and intermediate throws. We can throw it deep. I like this matchup, and I can never pick JMU to win a game, even though all of the analytics and stats say that I should. Old Dominion wins 21-17. Let's party in, in Harrisonburg, guys. Yeah, let's go. Yes. I think I actually forgot to bash the Sunbelt refs last night. Can we do that real quick, or we save it for another time? Yeah, close the book on it, Gary. Hey, this is as good a time as any. Yeah. Yeah, so Coach Ronnie can't say it in the post-game press conference, but the fishing last night was a dumpster fire. It was horrific. They missed PIs. They missed holds. They missed all kinds of things. They reviewed a play after like four or five seconds after we snapped the ball. Uh, it was just, it, it was a disaster. I don't know what's going on with Sunbelt officiating. Like, I think it started off pretty good. It wasn't terrible last year. But, yeah, it was bad. And then, you know, we were the beneficiary of a targeting call that was overturned at the end of the game on that last drive. Like, it definitely looked like targeting to me. I think it's pretty clear. But I think the most glaring part of that entire review process was it was an incomplete pass. It wasn't even completed. No one even thought to look, hey, maybe we should take a look and see if the receiver actually caught the football before going out of bounds. So they overturned targeting, but they got the completion, which wasn't a completion, and put them in a position. Ricky was hot on the sideline, and I fully understand why. He won't call him out publicly because he'll get fined. I don't. Send me an invoice, but do better. Some belt officiating. And what about have the, to do uh, better than that trash we saw last night. Reversal of our reception on the right-hand sideline there, that somehow had indisputable proof that it was not a catch? I mean, I rewatched that play last night when I got home, and I can't figure out what it was that, uh... yeah. That was a catch. There was no bobble. He was inbounds. It was a catch. Yeah, that's a similar story I got from some staff on the team. They thought the only thing live that it could have been is maybe he bobbled before he, or a after he had his feet down and balance, he bobbled it. Uh, but I didn't see any bobble. Uh, Romello Murphy should have had that catch. That was a great throw. Absolutely. Great play. Completely missed the PI <laughs> that was on that play too. So it was kind of a double whammy. All right. And I think Gary will appreciate this. After the game, we quote tweeted Big Game Boomer getting the game wrong, his prediction. He has since deleted his whole prediction what? for that tweet we quote tweeted on, has man. been deleted. Yeah. Big Game Boomer deleted his prediction tweet. That's that's awesome. He missed every yeah. single he got every single Sunbelt Sunbelt game wrong last uh, this week. <laughs> I can't stand that guy. I hate interacting. I hate engaging with him. And I say that as someone who was born an Oklahoma football fan and rooted for Oklahoma until ODU started football in the fall of 2009. I can't stand that dude, and I love him getting dunked on. And the Sun Belt made him delete a tweet. I'm so proud to be part of this conference. <laughs> hey, Mike, we did have one other question on Twitter. It is basketball recruiting related do we want to answer it or we just want to point people towards the uh what's, what's the question 
Okay, the question from William Shepard Miller is, it's not football related, but how fire is Jeff Jones' recruiting class looking right now? Pretty damn fire. Uh, like mucho fuego. If you look at 247's top 25 recruiting classes, we are 23rd in the country right now. 23rd. And the teams that we're ranked around, NC State, Syracuse, these are teams that are blue bloods. Or, well, not blue bloods, but they're legit programs that have won national championships. And Old Dominion is right in the middle of it. It's amazing. And I think some credit should be given to the portal because a lot of programs now are holding off signing high school recruits because they want to keep those spots open for portal additions. But we're reaping some benefits. and We're doing stuff that other mid-major programs are not doing. So two four-stars in the same class is ridiculous. And we shouldn't overlook how good Dion Ware could be. I mean, this guy added a whole nother year high school to get even better. So, yeah, I'm excited. Good things are happening, but we got until November 8th until they sign. That is very true. And what happens before November 8th? Two basketball games. Yeah, right I can't believe we get to go to the chartway this week, right? Yeah, Wednesday night, folks. We'll be there. And I'll, I'll say this is kind of an outsider's viewpoint of the basketball program. Obviously, I follow it, but I probably fall into that overly critical bucket that Aaron was talking about earlier in the past. What they're doing with recruiting is unbelievable. Like, I was here for the Blaine Taylor days, like the good Blaine Taylor days, and we were not getting dudes like that. It was you come in, you develop for three years, and you're good for, like, your last two. Uh, they're doing some special stuff. I don't typically get excited for men's basketball season because I am not optimistic for the most part. I'm actually really excited for this season coming up and what could potentially be in store for us next year. There, There's something special there. Sign Jordan Brooks forever. <laughs> yeah, since this uh, podcast is going to come out before that game, you know, folks, get out to Chartway Wednesday. Even if you're not a season ticket holder, you'll be able to walk up to the box office and, and uh, get in there. But um, obviously, uh, Coach Jones is the the head of the program and everything that good and bad happens ultimately falls in on top of his desk. Uh, but along with that, you know, he's made some really, really nice additions to his coaching staff last year with, with Jordan Brooks and Jamal Robinson. Of course, coach Covey has been with him for a long time. Kieran Donahue been with him for a long time. You know, Drew Lakey's now been with the, the, the team for a, a few they're doing great things. Come out, show the team and the coaching staff some support. I think this year, this is going to be a year of growth. If if you haven't been on the train, jump on it now because next year could be crazy. And we got talent this year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm interested to see how it comes together. I love watching just Danny Pounds really do anything. He is a super freak athlete. Um, he'll do something. Every practice we've been to, he's done one thing that just – made everyone's jaw drop and it's going to get to the point where he's doing this in games and then we won't be dropping our jaw anymore because we're just kind of going to expect it at some point in his career the guards chauncey's leap this year it should be pretty big i like the way they're going to use him on defense but offensively he's going to be a killer it's going to be a lot of fun to watch i don't know how it'll all come together yet but I'm excited to, to watch how this season plays out. I'll, I'll give you my expert analytics. Uh, I was down on the field with them during the second quarter yesterday. They looked great doing a t-shirt toss. Uh, they were just fantastic. Good arms getting up 20, 30 rows into the stands. Uh, said hello to Jason Wade. That dude's in for a monster year. Yeah, like, hey, you know what? When you saw Jason, though, he came in the end zone, and I had high hopes that he was going to launch a t-shirt into the fourth deck. I think it got to the second or the third. I tried to make eye contact, you know, but didn't happen. Hey, but yeah, you're not... right. I mean, Jason looks Jason looks great. I mean, he just I mean, he looks happy. He's uh the folk, folks that came out the games last year, when you see Jason this year, he looks he's he's got a different body. 
I don't know how much play time he's going to get because we've got a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talent there. But, man, I'm excited about this season. Yeah, I love that, dude. So, JJ told us between summer workouts ending and fall practice starting, he lost a good 15 pounds. That dude is putting in the work in the gym. And it's clear. No matter how this season goes, he still is going to be everyone's favorite monarch because of what he's gone through over his career. So I hope he has an amazing season. And I was told I think he has one more year after this. So He's definitely on my uh, ODU Mount Rushmore of favorite players. Love it. Is that definitely. is the two-year thing right? I don't know. If not, maybe Jason Yaris can make it happen. Well, <laughs> he should have a medical redshirt year, at least one, and a COVID year. So it's possible. Yeah. All right, guys. I think that's a good place to end this show. See you guys in Harrisonburg. Can't wait. It's going to be a fun, fun trip. We'll make the best of it like we always do, no matter how the, the ball rolls. But we got some dogs in that locker room. Can't wait. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.